All right. So I have one joke for you, okay? Or, or just start thinking funny thoughts right now, okay, so you get this joke. <clears throat> there, there's this busload of guys that drive to work together every day, and then the full bus, you know, everybody on the bus works at this same place. And there's a new guy that was just hired, so he's on the bus ride the first day. And as they're driving along, someone stands up and just shouts out, 17. And everybody in the bus just breaks up in uproarious laughter. And another guy, a little while later, stands up and says, 37. And everybody just busts out laughing. So he asks the guy beside him, he says, what's going on with this? And the guy beside him said, well, you know, we've been doing this for so long. Uh, a few years ago, we ran across this joke book of 100 Great Jokes. And we all memorized the jokes, so all you have to do is stand up and shout out a number, and everyone gets the joke. So this new guy, he's thinking, well, I want to be part of things. And he's thinking, you know, as long as I shout out a number under 100 that hasn't been used yet, I'll probably be pretty good. So he stands up and he shouts out, 63, and no one laughs. No one cracks a smile. And he sits back down and asks the guy, what's up with that? And the guy looks at him and says, well, some people just don't know how to tell a joke. Okay. All right, I thought that would be better than it was. Hey, today what we're going to do is uh, talk about faith. We're going to talk about faith as it relates to um, money, as it relates to living a life of generosity, as it relates to giving, and particularly giving to this church and this ministry and what God's doing here. But uh, before we do that, I, I want to share with you a few prophetic words that we've received as a church. And, um, and, and just share with you some of the things that God's spoken to us about over the past few years and things that we see actually happening right now that God's doing. But uh, it, it was in 2012 that after a prayer meeting that we had here, a brother named Dan Hack gave me this word. He said he felt like God was saying that God's going to do a new thing here. But it's not really a new thing. It's just getting us back to our roots. Now, that was in 2012. That was right at the very beginning of what, what we would look at today and say was a real fresh move of the Holy Spirit in this church. An emphasis on healing and uh, on um, uh, worship that, that really ushers God's presence in. Then in um, 2013, we had this word. And the word was that God was, that year, God was going to lead us into the beginning of a fulfillment of our desire for power evangelism. And that it was going to be the young people that led us into that. Now, the person that gave that word at, at the New Year's Eve service that year didn't know that we were considering hiring Luke and Will to uh, serve as our young adult pastors and that, that they were already engaged in power evangelism. And we're going to lead us as a church body into to more and more of that. And so it's, it's always awesome uh, to, to get prophetic words like this and then to, you, you believe them and you act upon them and you begin to see them come to fruition. It's really cool. I had a prophetic word given to me personally by a guy named Blaine Cook uh, just about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And he said that I was to call the broken back. He said that in prayer, uh, kind of like almost like a warfare type of prayer, he said, I needed to call the broken back. And I 
you know, thought, well, okay, you know, there are a lot of broken people. I jokingly said, I've broken a few myself. Uh, you know, I'm broken myself. But he said, no, that's not what I mean. He said, I'm referring to leaders who have been in ministry, who have been wounded and hurt. And for some reason, they've drawn back out of ministry. He said, your church body is going to be a church where broken leaders can come and receive healing and retooling and, and, and re-engage in ministry. And he said, you're going to need that for everything God wants to do through this church. So that's pretty cool, pretty cool word. And, um, and the other words that we've received, if you remember when Robbie Dawkins was here, um, Robbie Dawkins gave us this word uh, November 22nd in uh, 2015. And he said that this church is a clean altar. Robbie's been here over and over again. And, and he said that he believed God was saying that this church is a clean altar. And he said that in the Old Testament, people were constantly looking for clean altars. They wanted to find an altar where no, no pagan sacrifices had been made, where no one worshiping Baal had come and worshiped there. They were looking for altars that were pure. And he gave us this word to, to our church body that, that this church is a clean altar. And, that, and then he applied that. He said, this is a place... That, um, that God's working, and he said, spread the tent pegs because the place won't be able to hold everything God wants to do. And he said, there's a time coming when the fire of God will be so intense that this place can't hold it. And he said, fire needs to spread. So let your home, your life, and everything you do be clean altars as, as part of the church body. And each one of us here here, you know, we often say, if, uh, if you're a regular here, and by regular, we mean you've come three times or more, okay? Then uh, we want you to know, we look at you as part of this thing. And, and yeah, we do have a membership class, and we have things that we want people to go through so they really grasp the vision. But we're all part of this body, and this, this whole word on a clean uh, altar is really powerful. But if you want to listen to that word, go to our podcast for November 22nd, 2015. And then last um, spring, April 10th, I gave a message called Jesus is the Door. And in that message, the, the application of it, as, and, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message, but the application of it was that, that we are called to follow Jesus and we are doors, that we are portals to heaven, that you and I are portals to the kingdom of heaven to invade this earth. And after that message, I received this uh, prophetic word from um, Sue On, who's part of the church here. She said, uh, there was this sense that as you spoke more and more about the open heaven and angelic activity through us, the gateway, that th there was a shift in our paradigm. And as you started on your closing thoughts, I saw a picture of a whole host of angels just rearing at the gate waiting to be released. And then at one point they came rushing in and like chariots and raced around the room. So we, we've had a lot of prophetic words given to us about the presence of angels here and in this ministry. And, and not that God's presence is not other places, not that there aren't other churches that God's doing fantastic stuff. And we don't mean that at all. But just to embrace everything God's doing here, I want you to come with a sense of expectation 
that God's going to touch our lives. If you bring a friend, I I want you to bring that friend here because you know that friend's going to come into the presence of God. And, and that the Holy Spirit is going to be here, and he's going to be speaking to people, and that they're going to experience God's life in a real, tangible way, and God's love in a way that they haven't before. But this idea that there are angelic beings that carry the presence of God uh, is, is really powerful and, and, and something that, um, that, that we really believe is, is true and real and in a dynamic way that God works. But then this final word uh, from Micah Turnbow. Micah said he saw fountains of light beginning to flow out of Vineyard Northwest. It'll flow out of the church, releasing life into the city. And we've had so many prophetic words by other guests and visitors that I don't have here in front of me about the impact God wants this church body to have. That uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's challenging and it's encouraging, and, and I invite you all into that to pray for the fulfillment of these prophetic words, to pray and welcome God to do everything he wants to do here, because that's what we're about. That's why we are here. Now, this fall, we're going to do a series of messages um, titled Developing a Prophetic Culture, and that's going to start the end of September And um, I I encourage you to be praying about that, that God will speak to us through that, that God will release new things into the heart of the church through that. And really in preparation for it, I would encourage you to go back to that message on April 10th last spring and listen to that because it really helps to kind of define what we mean by a prophetic culture. But we'll be talking about that uh, beginning the end of September. Now, Mark 10, 27 is a powerful promise Uh, where God's word says this real clearly. It says, all things are possible with God. Isn't that great? All things are possible with God. And and believe me, I want to rest in that and trust in that. And then when we hear prophetic words, uh, and some of them sound powerful, almost grandiose at times, and and we don't don't think of ourselves that way. Uh, What we want to do is we want to allow God to be grand. We, we want to allow God to be powerful, and we want to allow him to do everything that he wants to do, but all things are possible with God. And there's another word I wanted to share with you before I move on, and that's a word that uh, Jason Smith gave uh, a, a while back during worship last spring. Um, Jason's right up here on my right. Jason was the pastor of the Mason Vineyard and uh, is here with his family right now and is, is um, going to be entering into um, some senior pastor training here in our church body. And so Jason, as we were worshiping, uh, Jason, stand up and wave to everybody so they all know who you are, okay? Okay, there's Jason, all right. Thanks. Well, Jason said he felt like the Lord came up behind him and whispered in his ear, when I'm here, I feel like I'm walking among the myrtle trees. And um, that's a picture, several places in the Old Testament, of the Lord's presence, uh, him being among the myrtle trees. Uh, Myrtle trees are a picture of the kingdom and kingdom blessing. In one place it says that there will be no more thorns, but the forest will be filled with myrtle trees. And myrtle trees have an aromatic flavor. In fact, the spice that we call allspice, anybody of you have that in your... 
in your uh, spice drawers. That comes from the myrtle tree. And so that, that's really a cool thing to think that Jesus likes being here, that he likes worshiping here with us. And so um, I just want those all to be the backdrop for everything I talk about today because we are going to talk about, as I said, money and generosity and giving and this church body here, Vineyard Church Northwest. And the reason we have to talk about this uh, in, in order to complete this whole series on faith is that there is no greater rival for our hearts than money. God has no greater rival for our hearts than money. Not Satan. Satan uses money, but Satan's not a rival. None of us are going to love Satan, okay? None of us are going to get caught up in that. If we know Jesus, anyway, that's just not going to happen. But we can get caught up in money. We, our hearts can be attracted to money in a way that we find our security in money. We find our, um, our meaning in money. We find our joy in money and our hope in money. And the only way to break that is to love God more than money. In fact, Jesus talked about that in Luke 16. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He says, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says this, you cannot serve God and money. And then it goes, on to, it goes on to say the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Now, Jesus makes it very clear. It can't be, well, I love God and I love money almost as much as God. It can't be, you know, I really love God, but I love money a little bit more. And it can't be I love them both equal. He's saying it's one or the other. I'm either going to have God as, as, as top in my life, my, my focus of love, or money. And money includes the whole concept of possessions and everything that it brings to us. And so Jesus is real clear of this, but notice what, how the Pharisees who loved money, how they responded. What did they do? They ridiculed. They responded with cynicism and criticism. And so often when churches talk about money, people have a, well, we have a tendency to do that. And, and we do that because, you know, somewhat for legitimate reasons, there have been pl- lots of abuse. We can all point to famous people who have uh, become extremely wealthy by having people who have almost nothing give them money in the name of God. And, and so there is that. That happens. But if I focus on that, then I'm going to develop a cynical spirit that's going to keep me Uh, from having a right attitude about money or a healthy attitude about giving or even keep me from having a heart that's committed to other believers and committed to joining with other believers in the fulfillment of God's mission for the world. But it's clear here that we have to deal with this concept of a love for money. But um, the question I would ask is, how do we love God? What's that mean? How do I love God? And of course, there's an emotional side to it. I desire God, I want God, I have a longing for God, but there's a a real practical side to it also, and that is simply this, how do I honor God? I love God by honoring him, and and, 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 and I, I honor what God is passionate about. Now, have you ever gone to a funeral, when we hear that someone has passed away, my inclination, my first tendency is send flowers. But uh, my wife always says, well, no, let's find out what they want us to do to honor their lost 
loved one. And oftentimes they'll say, don't send flowers, give money to the American Cancer Society. Or, or maybe they'll say, you know, mom was so involved in the Women's Pregnancy Center, she gave her heart and her life to that. So to honor her, give donations to the Women's Pregnancy Center. You see, we honor her by honoring what she was passionate about, what she cared about, what she put her life into. And to really honor her, I mean, like if you're one of her kids or you're a close friend, then you really need to allow that passion to start to grip your heart. And and so we need to ask ourselves, well, what's God passionate about so I can know that I can honor him? I can live a life that honors him. And Jesus is real clear about that all over in the Gospels. But there's one place that it comes out crystal clear. In Matthew 6.10, here's what we read. Jesus is teaching us how to pray here. And he's saying, pray like this. And it starts off, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then you come to this very verse next. Uh, Well, I added the part, our Father in heaven. And then he says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when Jesus told us to pray, the very first thing we're supposed to pray for is heaven come to earth, heaven on earth. That is the prayer that the kingdom of God would be realized on this earth. That we would walk in the reality of the presence of God and his rule and reign in our lives and and, and on this planet. So that we would say, if it's not happening in heaven, it shouldn't happen here. And if it is happening in heaven, it should happen here. And so God's passion is for his kingdom to come, for heaven to break into this earth. And that's why that message from April 10th is so important. Because we recognize that we are all portals of heaven breaking into earth. And really, that's what we're talking about, the essence of it, when we talk about a prophetic culture. It is heaven breaking into earth. Heaven flowing through you and me and breaking into this world. So that's what Jesus is passionate about. That's what God the Father is passionate about. And and here is the first lesson when it comes to understanding Faith as it relates to finance, possessions, giving, and and how we handle our money overall. It's real simple. It's this. God's passion needs to be our mission. What God's passionate about is what our mission is. And I need to open my heart to receive and experience his passion. If I'm not passionate about heaven coming to earth, then... I need to just, I need to open my heart. Maybe I'm loving money too much. Maybe I'm loving pleasure too much. Maybe I'm loving the use of my time the way I want to use it too much. Or maybe I'm giving into fear or some other thing that's holding me back. But we need to open our hearts to say, Father, your passion. Let's just do that right now. Just pray with me. Just, Father God, I want your passion to fill my heart. Just tell God that right now. I want your passion to fill my heart. Make me passionate about the same things you're passionate about, Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. So that I can live out the mission you've called me to. In Jesus' name. So God's passion is our mission. And um, when we do that, when we recognize that, then it flips our thinking when it comes to money. 
then money is no longer about me accumulating and me having and me being able to get all the nice shiny things I want. Money then becomes a trust from God. It's a trust fund. Do you know why they call them trust funds? Is because the parent or whoever developed the fund wanted it to live beyond the next generation. And so you get a trust fund, you hold that money in trust. Someone worked for it, and they passed it on to you. And it's not for you to just twitter away. It is for you to use, but to pass on to the next generation. And so we receive everything we have then becomes We view it as a trust from God that enables us to fulfill the mission that he's called us to and to live out the passion that that he's put in our hearts. Now, we are going to get to talking uh, about the finances of this church here in a few minutes, but I wanted to look at the life of Abraham. God brought my heart and my mind to the life of Abraham this week, and uh, there's some really cool things that you see there. And Abraham was a man who lived in the land of Mesopotamia, and he was a man who lived among uh, an idolatrous land, and he would have been, he was an idol worshiper himself. He was part of idolatrous religions, and God spoke to him, and God called him. And here's what God said to Abraham, Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, And go to the land that I will show you. And then he goes on to say, I will bless you. And you will be a blessing to others. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, God called him to leave the security of home and family that he knew. And where he knew where all the convenience stores were. He knew how to get places. He knew all the shortcuts. God says, leave all of that. And come out into this other land. And by the way, I'm not going to tell you where that land is right now. You just have to come with me. Come with me. And if you do, I'll bless you. I'm going to bless you. And you are going to be a blessing to the whole earth. Now, Abraham was a blessing to the whole earth because ultimately his uh, posterity became the nation of Israel through whom the Messiah, Jesus, was born and blesses the whole earth. But the second thing that we need to recognize here, and um, it, well, it's not the second thing, but it's just kind of like a side note, actually. But he was blessed to be a blessing. Everyone say that with me. Blessed to be a blessing. Let's say that together. Blessed to be a blessing. Again, blessed to be a blessing. Abraham received blessings from God so he could be a blessing to others. And you and I receive blessings from God, not simply so we can revel in those blessings and enjoy them. He wants us to enjoy them, but so we can be a blessing to others. And when we begin to, that's a core part of this whole thing of adopting his passion, allowing his passion to be our mission. A core part of that is to understand I'm blessed so I can be a blessing. That's it, that's it right there. It's never just about me. It's never to stop with me. It's always blessed to be a blessing. And so when we begin to understand this, it changes everything. And um, in, in Hebrews eleven eight, we read this about Abraham. It, it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. 
And he went out not knowing where he was going. So Abraham went out and he was blessed. Now, second lesson is this. Obedience is the key to blessing. Get that. Obedience is the key to blessing. What if Abraham had said, you know, God, I've liked talking to you. I can see you're good just from the way we've interacted. I just want you to know, I think you're really good, God. And I believe you. I believe that if I went, that you'd bless me. But you know, the kids just started school in this new school. And, and man, we've been waiting to get them into this school. We love this school. And you're asking me to uproot my kids right now? And, you know, this new job, I just started this new job where it's my dream job. You're asking me to leave that? And my mom and my dad are here and all my cousins. And I'm not going to be able to come home for the family reunions if I follow you. And so, you know, I think you're good. I'm thankful for that, all of that. And how about if we just move a few blocks down the road? Because those people need to know you too. And so we'll just go down there and we'll tell them about you. And that way we can stay in the same school district and keep the same job and everything. And then, oh, by the way, God, that stuff about blessings, I'll take those. You know, all that about blessing, yeah, I want that, okay? I believe in you. You said you'll bless me. Now, would he have been blessed? We all know, no, he wouldn't have. Because the blessing for him wasn't in Mesopotamia. It was in Palestine. He had to obey. He had to get up. He had to leave everything and move to the land of blessing. See, that's what obedience does for us. It doesn't earn credit with God. It's not like God says, oh, well, you've obeyed me this much. Therefore, I'm going to give you this much blessing. Not at all. It's, the blessing is there. But what he's saying is, hey, you know what? You're living here in the land of bitterness. The blessing is right over there in the land of forgiveness. Okay? So leave the land of bitterness and walk over to the land of forgiveness because that's where the blessing's pouring out. Okay? So think of it like this. Have you ever been to a waterfall? And come on. Anybody here ever been to a waterfall? Okay. A lot of us have been to waterfalls. So you're standing back and you're looking at the waterfall and it's a, it's a wickedly hot day like we've been having here recently. And you're thinking, oh, man, it would be so nice if that refreshing, cool water would just roll over me. And so I just stand there and just say, oh, God, pour this water over me. But what do I have to do? God's not holding back on me. The blessing is there. I have to move. I have to say, okay, if the blessing's there, I'm going to move over to that spot so I can enjoy the blessing. That's what obedience is. It's just moving into the space of blessing. Now, Jesus was real clear about this. He said, if you love me, you'll follow my teachings. If you love me, you'll follow my teachings. And he said again in John 13, 17, he said, now that you know these things, everything I've taught you, you're going to be blessed if you do them. You know, you want to live a blessed life, practice everything I've taught you. And another translation says, you'll be happy if you do them. So the key to happiness is obedience. Not obedience to arbitrary rules, but not obedience because Jesus wants to be the boss. I've done that with my kids. Have you ever, any parents here that have ever felt like, well, I need to show them who's the boss? No, it's not like that. 
It's just, hey, you're in the land that's not getting blessed right now because you're in the land of greed. You're in the land of fear. Blessing is just a few steps that direction in the land of peace and trust. And so it's, it's uh, just important that we understand that. You know, it's one thing to say, I believe in Jesus. That's a little fuzzy. I mean, it's real, but it's a little fuzzy. I believe in Jesus. Well, okay, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in this person. I believe in Andy Dalton as the quarterback of the Bengals. And, you know, I mean, it's fuzzy. But to say, I believe Jesus is clear. Because if I believe Jesus, I'm going to act on what he says. Just imagine that we're meeting here and we're going down to HOTS training or to the HOTS ministry that we have in Over the Rhine. And you ask me, how do I get there? And I say, okay, I've been down there 20 times. This is the fastest, best route to get to the HOTS training. And I write it all out for you. Do you want to follow me? No, I can make it. So, okay, I go off. I get there. An hour later, you come straggling in. And I say, what took you so long? You know, I gave you these great directions. And you say, well, you know what? I grew up in Westchester. And in Westchester, we go to over the Rhine a different way. And so I had to drive back up to Westchester so I could go my way to over the Rhine. Well, you know what I would say is, oh, I guess you didn't believe me, did you? You didn't believe me. You didn't believe me when I said this is the best way to get there. And when Jesus, when we say, do, do I believe Jesus or not? Do, I mean, that's the, do I believe Jesus? Because if I believe him, then I'm going to do what he says. When he says, give up that bitterness, I'm going to say, okay, here it is. I'm laying it out before you right now. I'm giving it up. You know, when he says, serve that person, it's going to be hard, but you go do it. You serve that person. I'm going to say, okay, I'll do it. How about this? Let's, let's turn this a little different direction. Um, people will often say, and relating to money, you know, you, you, you encounter people that, are say, that say, well, I'm having financial trouble and et cetera, et cetera. And, but I know God's going to provide. Well, you know, if, if, we're, if, if we really want to get into that, it would be, show me your checkbook. Let's look at the things you're spending your money on. How are you handling it? Because if, if I'm wasting my money, if I'm buying things that, if I'm racking up credit card debt and, and I'm not handling my money the right way and, and I'm not giving, then I'm not walking in obedience. And obedience is the key to blessing. And think about that related to marriage. You know, let's say a guy says, well, I know my marriage is going to be blessed because the pastor blessed us when we got married. He, he prayed blessing on us. And so I know my marriage is going to be blessed. But then let's say this guy never talks to his wife. Let's say the only words he ever speaks to her are impatient and demanding. Let's say he still relates to all of his old buddies as if he's single. And so he's out every night running around. Is his marriage going to be blessed? No. Why? Because he's, he doesn't believe Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't believe Jesus because he's not following what Jesus says. And so when you apply that to our money, it's not just about giving. I can't stand up here and say, well, if you start giving, God's going to bless you. Because I don't know how you're handling the rest of your money. I don't know uh, how your attitude is towards money. 
I don't know if you're looking at your money as the basis of your security in life or not. If you are, you've got to change that. We save for provision, but not for security. If you save for security, you'll never have enough. Why? Because we all know it can all fly away in an instant's time. If you have $500,000, you want a million. If you have a million, you want two. If you have two, then you start thinking, well, boy, two, I could lose that. I need four, and on and on. And so we can't find our security in it. We need to find our security in Jesus, in him alone. And the way that happens is by me saying, okay, it's all yours. It's all yours. I'm going to handle it the way you want me to. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go into debt for things. I'm gonna, I'll drive an old car, Lord. I'll drive an old car. That's fine. We don't need a bigger house, God, because if we get a bigger house, that's going to stretch our budget to the point that we, can't, we don't have any, no, no margin whatsoever, and we certainly can't give. But when we, when we begin to say this is all a trust from God, it's a trust from him, and I'm going to use it to honor him, and I honor him by being passionate about heaven coming to earth. That's how I honor him. Now, Abraham is the first person in the Bible that tithed. And um, he tithed in Genesis 18. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram. Then Abraham gave him, gave him a tenth of everything. So Abraham, this guy Melchizedek, we don't know anything about him other than he knew God. He was a priest of God. He was close to God. Abraham meets Melchizedek and says, you know the same God I do. The God that called me out of Mesopotamia, you're his priest. I'm going to honor him by honoring you. I'm going to give you this. And he gives him a tenth of everything he had. Now, why a tenth? At this point, there's no commands in the Bible about this or that, or or tenths or fifths or whatever. My theory is this, okay? We count on a base 10 system. So we count, we have 10 fingers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. And so everything logically divides into tens in our, in our numerical system. And so one tenth would naturally be one whole unit that represents everything. And so giving a tenth is like saying, it's all yours. The other 90% I'm going to use to honor you and advance your kingdom also. Does that make sense? Okay. If it doesn't, think about it. The second reason I think it was 10% is 10% for almost all of us is a sacrifice. 10% is the difference between driving a new car and an old car. It's the difference between vacationing in the Bahamas and, 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 and going to King's Island for the week. I mean, it's, it's the difference between having all new furniture in your home and just being content with the furniture you have. It's the difference between using a TV that's 20. Our kids are, are when we, we finally bought, we, well, we, we got a TV from Lori's grandfather in the early 80s. And um, it was state of the art in 1982. But we used that TV till about 2005. And when we got a new TV, our older kids came home and said, what? You made us watch that old TV all those years. And I... <laughs> I mean, tithing is the difference between having a nice new TV and using the old TV. 
It's the difference between maybe having cable and not having cable. It's the difference between eating out three or four times a week and maybe just eating out for special moments and special occasions. So it hurts. It's it's a sacrifice. But that's what makes it so powerful. You know, when a person can say, you know, I earned this money and I deserve that and I need that. When a person is thinking that and I'm going to say, well, okay, for the sake of argument, I'm going to say, yeah, you do. That's what makes it a sacrifice. That's what makes it a sacrifice. That's what makes the the gift so powerful is that you're giving something up because you have want to honor God and you have adopted his passion for the world and you're engaging in his mission for the world and you understand that obedience is the key to blessing. And so you're going to walk in obedience and then you know what you could like you have financial trouble, you can just go to God and say, God, I've acted with integrity. I've handled my money to honor you and I've given and I'm going to keep up all of that because I'm going to trust you. And God, then you're in a position, you're in the land of blessing, okay? And even if a need comes, you can just, okay, God's going to provide for that need. I I trust him. He's going to meet that need. So, um, well... Okay, the third lesson is this. I'm going to give it to you. <clears throat> Abraham gave simply to honor God. Uh, there's no record that Melchizedek had a building program going on or that uh, he was soliciting money to open a, a home or a ministry to the poor or anything like that. He just gave to honor God. But Abraham's posterity became a nation. And when they became a nation, God gave them a temple And that temple became the center of worship around the world. That's what it was intended to be. Not just for the Jews, but that the whole earth would come there and worship God. And from that moment on, then giving became something that God said, okay, give there to that place that is honoring me and maintain that place so that people can come here and they can see that there is a living God on this earth that loves them and cares about them. And so from that point on, giving was to honor God, worship. We've talked about that a lot in the last year. But giving was also to engage with the mission that God had and, and to be part of that mission that God has. And, and so that's, that's where it comes down to us just talking about here and, and this church and what God's doing here and what, what God wants to do here and our trust in him to provide. Um, I, uh, Okay, give me a second here. Think about where to go next. Okay, so um, we've been in a transition phase the last two, three years. And when you do that, there are people that don't feel comfortable anymore here. Some people just get flat out called to another place. So while we have had so many new people come, and man, bless you, we love you, we're so happy you're here. We've had people that were here from the beginning that have said, you know, I don't feel like I fit here anymore. And bless them. Not, they're people that love Jesus. But, but a lot of those people gave like crazy. And they have been here for years. And so in, in any transition phase like that, you, you, you hit a lull period where the giving is not what it had been. Now, fortunately, we have had um, uh, good money handling, and and we've had, like, reserves as a church. Not excessive, but enough to cover, like, a $20,000 deficit in the budget. 
or even a $30,000 deficit in the budget. And so um, for the last few years, we've been able to say, okay, we're in a transition. Uh, We're going to come out of this. And right now we're going to take these reserves to make up the difference in the giving and, and the budget. Because the way we set our budget is uh, we say, God, what do you want to do here? We're trying to discern what God wants to do and set the budget based on that. And, and understand God's going to provide for what he wants to do. And I remember um, a year or two ago, uh, one of the staff members and I were talking. And they said, well... Um, you know, when's the, when's the giving going to turn around? And I, I got this word from God two years ago where God said, watch me. I'll, I'll turn it all around in a moment. I'll turn it all around in a moment. And uh, so I've rested on that. And, and I've just said, okay, that's good. I trust that. And... Um, and, and then I, God didn't speak to me clearly about this, but I just had this sense that we're going to have to use those reserves before we see it turn around because we don't want to trust the reserves. Does that make sense? I mean, even as a church, we can't trust that, well, we've got this amount of reserve. Uh, and so that's where we're at right now. And um, uh, I mean, uh, so many of you give so sacrificially and thank you for that. Man, bless you. But um, we're at a point right now where we've really got to ramp up the giving for this whole thing that God's doing here to keep going. And, and we're, no, not to keep going. We don't keep going, but for it to be what everything God wants it to be. For us to move ahead, we need to ramp up the giving. We need to, we need to have more resources. Now, I'm going to show you the budget here on a chart. Do we have that? Can we throw that chart up? All right. So... This budget is, the total is $116,000. All right, that one chunk there, um, percentage-wise, okay, sorry. Uh, That is what we pay for the facility. That is the the building payments, the utilities, upkeep, and stuff like that. And then we, we rely heavily on staff for ministry. We believe staff and programming are almost the same thing. And so... The gray part is what we pay our staff. And then there's a chunk there for program um, ministries for what the staff has to actually do ministry. And then uh, outward focused uh, is about 5% there. But uh, on top of that, not counted in the regular budget, we gave over $20,000 to other special uh, things last year that were outwardly focused. And so that would make that actually about 7 or 8%. But... Um, Right now, we have enough money to cover the facility and the staff, the program, outward focus. Um, I guess here's what I want to say. Anything more that you start giving, like let's say you've been giving $100 a week. You start giving $150 a week, that other $50 is just going to go into enhancing the programs we have. It's going to go into ministry and growing ministry here. Does that make sense? Do you understand why I'm saying that? Because uh, the, the rest of this is pretty much covered by the giving right now. But we, we do need to um, increase our giving in order to, uh, really in order to advance and move ahead as a church and fulfill the mission and the call that God has for us. And so, um, yeah, you can take that down now. But I just want to say this. 
a lot of um, different, different groups of people here. And, and I want to say to those who have been here a long time or a short time, and, and you're giving, you're tithing or more, man, bless you. Thank you for that. I hope that, I hope that you're gaining joy and meaning and satisfaction out of what you're giving. That's, that's really cool. And uh, we appreciate it. Now, for, for those who've been here a while and, and you're grasping the vision and, and you like it, but you give sporadically, I, I want to ask you to, to take it more seriously. I want to ask you to begin to give as a part of your regular budget. I want to ask you to, to step up into that other realm of people who give whether they're here or not. I had a couple come in yesterday, a, a woman come in yesterday, and she said, we haven't been to church for several weeks. We were out of town, and then my husband had surgery, and we're not going to be there again tomorrow. And I wanted to make sure you got our tithe because we haven't been here. And, and that, that's different than saying, well, I'm not going to church this week or not going to church for a month, so I have some extra cash on hand. I think, think really to say this is all God's, and I'm going to honor him, what I have to say is I'm going to make it part of my budget, and I'm going to give it whether I'm there or not. I'm going to give it whether I, whether I, whether I can be there that weekend or not. And so um, I, I would ask you to pray about that, to make it a priority. For those who've been coming for a while, but you haven't yet started giving, you're not really sure you're part of things or not. You remember that thing about if you come three times, you're a regular? You're part of the greeting team? <laughs> okay, well, you're part of the giving team too, all right? I just want to put that in your brain. I want, I want to receive that into your heart. You're part of this. None of us can do this alone, but we can do it together. And, and we can, like the budget that I showed you there was $116,000, no, $1,016,000. And uh, if, if we had $1.2 million coming in, we could use that in, in expanding this ministry in powerful ways. That, that will shake the city. And, and so that's what I want you to know, that, that what, the, the more that comes in, the more powerful this whole ministry is going to be and, and the more impactful it's going to be. Uh, if you're part of a young family and you're saying, man, we need all the money we have just to feed the kids, then I would just say that's tough. I know. It's hard. I've been there. That's the difference between uh, cable and no cable. That's the difference between the old TV you inherited and, and having a new TV. And you want to teach your kids to give. And then if you're here and you're saying, you know, I'm pretty young and um, young adult or I'm, I'm young and, and, and you're kind of like used to mom and dad paying the way. But you're not with, you don't live with mom and dad anymore. Okay? You're an adult now. You've got to take part in this. And whatever job, if you work at McDonald's or if you work at Starbucks or wherever you work, you give because it's part of how God made you to be and because you're vested in the mission and, and what God wants to do. And so you need to be part of it too. So we all need to be part of this. And as we are, we're going to see those prophetic words fulfilled. We're going to see God moving ahead in, in a really powerful way. So I'm going to invite the worship team out and uh, Lori's going to come up and we're going to receive the offering right now. And um, then we're going to worship.